Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. This is Devraga Personal Finance, and this is episode 24. If you've been following my podcasts, um, basically... Um, they talk about uh, principles of personal finance, and I'm a big believer and also um, educator in trying to get people to save 20% of their after-tax income and putting it away uh, consistently into various investments, whether it be in a savings account or the stock portfolio or um, bonds or other type of investments. Um, and the aim is to achieve financial independence um, and the aim is to have the um, ability to be able to save for your retirement outside of your super. Now, in this episode, uh, we'll talk about two very important concepts. Uh, The first topic is going to be um, about emergency funds. Uh, What are the types of emergency funds? Uh, What constitutes an emergency fund? and how best to save for an emergency fund. And the second major topic we'll discuss is good debt versus uh, versus bad debt. So what is um, good debt? How can it be useful? And what is bad debt? And how it can actually destroy your finances uh, forever in some cases. But before we head on, um, I'd just like to share a couple of things. Um, a big shout out to a, a website that I came across recently on an investing forum on Facebook. Um, it's by a person called Tom. He's only in year six. Uh, it's called tomsmoneymagic.com. Um, and uh, I've sort of, you know, spread that website to um, my own kids, but also uh, kids of friends and family. Um, basically Tom is a grade six student that's trying to learn and teach about personal finance. Um, and I think it's a fantastic effort, uh, for a grade sixer. So congratulations, Tom, on a very good website. Um, and also getting the uh, concepts of finance down packed at a very young age, because if you can understand this and master this at a very young age, it's very likely that you'll end up being very, very wealthy, and most importantly, financially independent uh, quickly uh, and effectively so that you have the choice to do what you want to do in your life, and that's really, really important. So if you haven't visited it, a big shout out, tomsmoneymagic.com. Go ahead, sign up, comment, whatever, um, and um, spread the word and teach personal finance to your children. Um, If you want to learn more about how to get started with Kids and Finance. I did an episode uh, just before, episode 23, uh, called Kids and Money, so have a listen to that when you can. And the second story that I'd like to share is that, um, you know, how this episode came about was because I had a bit of an emergency uh, in my life recently, 
my um, uh, car had some repairs that needed to be done, uh, which were relatively urgent uh, in quick succession. Um, and I thought, well, um, it's really important to talk about an emergency fund because I had to dip into my emergency fund to be able to fix my car quickly because if I don't have a car, I can't work. I rely on my car to get to and from work, as most Australians do. And therefore, it's really important to be able to uh, not be derailed by a single emergency in your life. So I thought, um, you know, that that's how this topic came about for this podcast. But um, before we delve into that, what happened was during the time that the car was in repairs, uh, which took about sort of six hours or so, I um, went for a walk. Uh, I, I, I tend to go for walks uh, as regularly as possible. So every couple of days I go for about an hour or hour and a half walk. And what I did notice um, recently in my walk was I was walking down a busy sort of street with lots of small businesses around. And I noticed this particular person was entering and exiting a business, um, you know, right next to each other. So they go into a coffee shop. And then about a minute later, uh, or even less, they'd come out and then he'd go into the next door takeaway shop. And then next door to that, they'd go into the subway. Um, and I actually went into the subway um, uh, to get some sandwiches for lunch. And um, this person also uh, followed me and walked in. And what I noticed was uh, they were handing out resumes. Um, and what was really interesting about it was I actually asked them, I said, oh, look, I have noticed you going to various shops. Um, so what have you been doing? Have you been handing out resumes all this time? And um, she said, yes. Um, I said, oh, that, that's fantastic to be able to, you know, just, just walk into a shop and just hand out resumes. Um, and, and to me, that sort of showed that she was very persistent. I said, oh, so you're looking for work. And what she told me was was what stunned me. She said she's actually got full-time work, um, but she's looking for extra work. Um, she's looking for work after hours, and she's looking for work on weekends. Um, and this was on a weekend, actually. So, And I was like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. So, um, you know, she'd probably be in her, I don't know, early 20s. Um, and I thought that to me, is a great example of opportunity cost. So um, I, I didn't sort of go on and ask her why she's looking for extra work. It could be because she's got bills or debts to pay. But, but I guess if you're looking for extra work, you're trying to make use of the time that you have, spare time, to make that extra cash. Um, and that is opportunity cost, which I've talked about. So how to use your time effectively and increase your income per unit time. Um, and I have talked about that in my previous podcasts on this channel. So, um, you know, I thought that was a very, very fitting start to this podcast about emergency funds. So what is an emergency fund? Well, it's always useful to have some spare cash lying around in the event of emergencies. It's never a good look to ask friends or family for money, ever, even though I'm pretty sure that your friends or family will often give you that money with their eyes shut, especially true friends. So what sort of events should you be preparing for? Um, job loss, uh, unexpected medical expenses, so not so much for elective surgery or plastic surgery. This is for unexpected medical expenses. 
where um, you're unable to work. Uh, a car breakdown or car repairs, as happened to me recently. Um, unexpected home repairs or expenses, so roofing, uh, plumbing or air conditioning fixing uh, that is not really covered by insurance. Um, funeral expenses, now you'd hope that you'd have enough money to pay for your own funeral or you know, perhaps someone that you know and love that you have to pay for their funeral, um, uh, unfortunately. So you, know, you need to have some funds set aside uh, for that to happen. And family illness, uh, particularly with children or pets that become ill, these are all unexpected things that you need to be prepared for. You can't derail your finances due to emergencies because you'll always be playing catch-up. So it's extremely important to anticipate them. It's extremely important to account for them uh, and make sure that you have enough money to be able to cover it. What isn't an emergency? Well, a vacation is not an emergency. Elective surgery is not an emergency. Replacing or renovations um, for the home is not an emergency. So carpets or doing a kitchen redesign or getting a new bathroom put in, that's not an emergency. Um, car servicing or anything that's planned, so petrol, insurance, etc., that's not an emergency. And getting a new TV or furniture um, for your home is not an emergency. Okay, so if you think about... Um, an emergency is basically unexpected, unexplained events that have happened, which is going to cost money in the form of paying bills or in the form of your time, and therefore you're unable to work, and that's opportunity costs. So you need to think about an emergency fund, and if you think they're a waste of time, just ask me, because obviously I've gone through it recently, albeit not a great emergency, it's just car repairs, but if you've been following politics overseas, what's happened in the United States with the government federal workers have been furloughed um, because of a government shutdown and their paychecks weren't coming in. Some of these people didn't have enough money to survive 30 days. That's two paychecks, guys. So it's an absolutely important aspect of your finances. So do not underestimate the need for the emergency fund. So... Have I had emergencies in my life? Absolutely. I've had family illness. Um, I've had personal illness. I've had unexpected emergency travel. Um, I've had an air conditioner um, that's broken down. Uh, I've had car repairs that I've talked about recently. I've had plumbing repairs, leaking roofs, storm, etc. And I've also had investment property repairs that have been unexpected. You know, big expenses like ducted heating, um, and ducted air conditioning repairs, et cetera, et cetera, which weren't really covered by insurances. So absolutely, emergencies do come. They will happen, and you can't allow them to derail your finances. Now, in my opinion, there are two types of emergency funds. The first type is what I call an immediate emergency fund, something for small expenses. So something that happened to me recently was that my car broke down and had a flat tire and had windshield repairs, et cetera. All of that comes out of my $1,000 immediate fund. This is the most important emergency fund that you can have. It's for those small expenses, usually unexpected, usually less than $1,000 is all you need to cover those expenses. The second type of emergency fund is something where um, you need to be able to cover several months of expenses. Um, and usually how many months? Well, you know, it depends who you talk to, who you listen to. 
Um, Dave Ramsey says three to six months is a minimum. Um, Susie Orman says eight months is a minimum. I personally feel that 12 months is a minimum, and that's 12 months of expenses, okay? Now, you can look at it another way. You can let three to six months of income or eight months of income or 12 months of income. It really depends on what your preference is. But what an emergency fund is, you need to look at your expenses and have enough for about 12 months in my view. If you're very, very conservative, you can save 12 months of your income and put it aside as an emergency fund, okay? That's your after-tax income. But, you know, you can, you can just basically save up your expenses. So what you need to do is you need to work out your minimum monthly expense. So work out your mortgage or your rent. Work out any car repayments. I hope to God you don't have any car repayments because we'll talk about good debt versus bad debt coming up shortly. Um, utilities, gas, water, electricity, food, groceries, eating out, um, basic insurance like health insurance or car insurance, home insurance, building insurance, contents insurance, uh, income protection insurance, life insurance. So all of that comes into your minimum monthly expenses. And what I tend to do is I would add about 10% on top of that because things like utilities are kind of unpredictable, particularly during winter or summer, extremes of weather. You might want to use the gas heater a bit more. You might want to use the electricity a bit more. Uh, you might want to use the air conditioner a bit more during summer. We've had a terrible, terrible heat wave in Australia uh, this past summer. So, you know, Always add about 10% to those expenses and make sure that 10% is also covered. So you've got a $1,000 emergency fund for immediate small emergencies and you've got at least three to six months um, of expenses saved up. If you're a Dave Ramsey fan, if you're a fan of me, uh, I might have some fans out there, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, I tend to prefer to keep 12 months of expenses uh, in the emergency funds. So how do you save for an emergency fund? Well, using the philosophies and principles we've discussed in the previous X amount of episodes, you put away money every month. The concept of automation, I've gone on and on about it, I've banged on about it all these months, the 20% rule, okay? And that is you take 20% of your income um, and in the past I've said invest it, but you can take 20% of your income and put it into your emergency fund. Don't invest your money unless you've had or have an emergency fund ready to go. There's absolutely risky and no point in investing your hard-earned money before you have any emergency funds. It's pointless in my view. Investments are speculative and you could lose them and you'll be forced to rack up debt to pay for the emergencies that you will encounter. Or you may have to ask your family or friends for money and that's not a great look. So the bottom line is emergencies will happen. Hope they don't, but they will. They have happened to me and they will happen to you and make sure you have the two subtypes of emergency funds ready to go before you take that money uh, in addition to that and invest it, okay? So 
what do you do once you've saved up the money? What do you do with the emergency funds? Well, first of all, you don't invest it. So you don't put it in the stock market or the bond market or whatever because you need the emergency funds to be liquid. That means you need to have ready access to cash urgently in the event that you need it. So when my car broke down, I had my money in my account, took it out, fixed the tire, fixed the windshield, done, dusted, ready to go, back to work. So you can't be selling shares, you can't be you know, selling your house, you can't be using credit cards, because all of that takes time. You definitely don't want to use credit card in an emergency, especially if you don't have the money to pay for it. It's an absolute nightmare given the amount of interest that you pay. That's just pointless and moronic in my view. So what do you do when you've saved your emergency fund? Now, I personally keep my emergency fund against my mortgage. Mortgage is paid off, um, but this way I earn interest um, uh, uh, returns, essentially instant guaranteed returns, which is exactly the same as what the interest is on my mortgage. Um, and to me, this is the most effective way to keep it. And it's safe, it's easily accessible, it's extremely liquid, and it's guaranteed. If you don't have a mortgage, then keep it in an online savings account or just a normal savings account. Um, you're not worried about the interest earnings on it. Who cares? The aim of the emergency fund is to not make money for you. The aim is to be there when you really, really need it. And of course, do not invest emergency funds in the share market. It's volatile, it's risky, and get screwed if the share market really goes down. And if you really want to take risks like that, maybe you don't need an emergency fund because you're rich already, but investing it is just madness. I've heard of stories of people uh, putting emergency funds in term deposits, completely pointless in my view because the money is not readily accessible because term deposits have a maturation date. Um, and if it is, and if you want to take the money out earlier, there's a penalty to do so. It's just a pain in the ass. Okay, so don't do it. So in summary, always have emergency funds, subtype one, $1,000, and subtype two, at least three to six months, or in my view, 12 months of expenses. If you're conservative, have 12 months of income saved up. How do you save it up? Well, put away small amounts of money automatically to accumulate the emergency funds, and once you've achieved that goal, Take that money, not the emergency fund, but the money that you save on an ongoing basis, and then start investing. Leave the emergency fund for emergencies. They're not an investment, and they're not to be expected for a return. How much? Um, it really depends on your monthly expenses, your dependents, and the capacity to earn a wage. Uh, if you're coming from a double-income family, maybe you don't need that much emergency funds. Uh, if you're the sole breadwinner, then yes, you definitely need emergency funds. If you've got five kids... Um, and a partner that depends on your income, then yes, you definitely need emergency funds. Um, never speculate with your hard-earned emergency funds dollars. So don't invest it into the share market. It's just a nightmare. And um, uh, coming back to the original point, there are two subtypes. One is $1,000, and the other one is a longer, in my view, 12-month term to be safe. Now, after you've had $1,000 in emergency funds, if you have any debt, don't worry about saving another 12 months of emergency funds. Pay off the debt because it's instant return on value for your money. It's completely pointless to have credit card debt and have 12 months emergency fund sitting in an online savings account because your debt is costing you interest.
Hopefully that sort of summarizes um, the types of emergency funds, the role of emergency funds, how to save it, how to keep it, and what sort of things constitute an emergency. And I think you really need to you know, sit down and calculate how much you need and come up with your own figure as to whether you only want three to six months or whether you want 12 months of emergency funds, in addition to the $1,000, which is the basic emergency fund. And certainly if you have debt, pay that off first after the $1,000 has been accumulated, okay? Now, in topic number two, um, we'll talk a little bit about what is good debt versus bad debt. Now, there's various definitions here, uh, and it's a potentially controversial topic, you know, because it really depends on the basic question and the premise, can debt ever be good? If you ask some people, like Dave Ramsey or some Australian people as well, um, Australian financial personalities, debt is always bad. Um, and some people even advocate buying a home using your cash. Don't get a mortgage. Don't get a home loan. Just pay it off in cash. Now, if you live in Melbourne, which is where I live, the average home price is around, uh, the median home price I think last we checked was around seven fifty to 800000 It's going to take you a while to save that amount of cash. So most people in Australia, dare I say, get a mortgage or a home loan to be able to buy a home. And getting into the property market here is difficult, although things are easing because of the tighter lending standards, the property market falling, less buyers, more sellers, supply-demand issues, etc., and, of course, the recent Royal Commission that's been uh, announced and also the results coming in. Now, to some extent, I agree that debt is bad, okay, because essentially it's opportunity cost, it's taking money that you could have otherwise invested um, into paying the interest on that debt. But there is something called good debt. So what are some of the examples of it? Education. If you're going to debt to get education, provided the education is good, then, yeah, that is considered good debt. Um, buying something with the debt which increases in value or produces an income, for example, real estate, shares, bonds, businesses, etc., um, that is considered good debt. Having said that, I never borrow money to buy shares. Um, I never borrow money to buy bonds. I think that's just, in my view, is a bit weird. Yes, I do borrow money to buy investment properties, for sure. I do have a few, but I don't borrow money to invest in shares because I just think it's a bit volatile. Call me a hypocrite, but um, that's just the way it is. The reason why I don't do that is because I'm at a, a stage in my life where I've got dependents, I've got a wife and two kids, so it really depends on your personal situation. I'm not happy to take the risk to borrow, uh, to borrow money to invest in the share market, but I'm happy to take the risk to borrow money to buy property because I kind of feel more secure. Uh, I kind of feel that I know more about property than I do about shares. I'm still very much a novice when it comes to the share portfolio and the volatility um, of the share, um, share share market. So it's about risk versus reward and how much risk that you're happy to tolerate. Now, we talked a little bit about good debt, such as education debt. Um, it, you know, education is not always useful. Uh, if your education doesn't get you anywhere, um, then it's completely pointless. So I went to medical school. Um, I spent six years of undergraduate uh, uh, years in medical school, plus I spent a year in internship. 
and I did several years of surgery, um, surgical training, and then I settled on general practice in emergency and urgent care medicine. Okay, so I'm 13 years out of medical school. That's 13 years out of medical school. So in total, I've spent 13 years plus six years in medical school since year 12. That's 19 years in total. That is a bloody long time, but I'm reaping the rewards now because I make a pretty good wage and I'm relatively settled in life. Now, some of you may turn around and say, well, hang on, Devraga, that's opportunity cost. I've wasted you know, six to 13 years of my life going to medical school and doing all these things, had I just got a normal job and invested money over those 13 years, maybe overall I would have been better off. And you know what? That's a very good point, and that's a very good point um, called opportunity cost, and I've talked about this in my previous podcasts. But generally speaking, if you stick to good education, um, you're likely to get a good job, which means job security, good wage, wage increases. Um, and of course, I've talked about this, your income is your biggest asset and tool for wealth creation. So, you know, generally speaking, if you stick to STEM education modules, that's science, um, technology, engineering, and maths, and that includes human and health sciences, um, you know, you're generally going to have more opportunities. It's a, it's a bit of a generalization, but ultimately, though, you need to do something you enjoy. You need to do something that you are willing to become an expert at it. Because if you're an expert at it and you're better than 95% of people in that profession, then you'll be a star. I call that the 95% rule. I don't know whether you've heard of that rule before. If you do something, you love it, you enjoy it, and you're better than 95% of people that do it, then you're going to be a star. And then the financial aspect of it, provided you apply basic principles, will come to fruition. Um, yeah, so it really depends on um, uh, uh, your education. So that, that, that's sort of a very good example of you know debt that you can go into, which can be classified as good debt. Um, now, bad debt, cars. If, if you go into debt to buy a car, the minute you turn the ignition on of the... Uh, at the car salesman's lot, you've lost thousands of dollars in value. Clothes, uh, unnecessary expenses like holidays, uh, other consumables, yeah, bad debt. Jewelry, for example, um, fast food, expensive restaurants, meals, credit cards. These are all bad, 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 always bad debt. Now, I'm not saying don't ever go on a vacation. I'm not saying don't ever buy a car. But you need to be able to put that in principle and say, okay, do I really need a $100,000 car? You know, do I really need to go to the Maldives and, and stay in a seven-star luxury resort? Now, if you've got the money to do it, don't get me wrong, enjoy life. But this is during the time of wealth accumulation, okay? So I'm not saying do this or do that. All I'm saying is you need to consider that. That's all bad debt. Um, yeah. There's a concept of uh, YOLO, which um, I sort of came across recently. You only live once, Y-O-L-O. Um, but, you know, um, that's if you want to do that, if you want to go blow your money on a really nice car and you, you know, you're a uh, uh, first-year engineering graduate, it's your prerogative. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, 
I'd, uh, I'd use the 20% rule, save up the emergency fund, pay off my debts, um, and start investing early on in life. Now, I was extremely stingy um, in medical school. Some people still call me very stingy. Um, I'm a little bit more liberal now. Um, as I said, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, penny pinch at the moment because I kind of don't need to because um, I have a pretty good wage. Um, I save a fair amount of money. Um, you know, I use the 20% rules and the rest of the 80%, you know, I, I don't have 80% of expenses. So uh, certainly when I was much younger, I was much more stingier, saving up to 50, 60, 70% of my income. Uh, I don't do that anymore because, you know, frankly, I've got other expenses uh, that I need to take care of. Uh, but generally speaking, saving is ingrained in my blood and I think it should be ingrained in your blood too. Um, I know what it's like to go without um, and I never want to be in that situation again, nor would I want my children or my family members to be put in that situation again. Now, that's not to say that I you know, suffered and I was in poverty and I you know, begged for money or whatever, but there are some things um, that um, I wouldn't want to go through again. So next time you plan to go into debt, you need to ask these questions. Is it good debt or is it bad debt? Do I really need this? Will this make money for me in the long term? Will it increase in value over the long term? Can I pay cash for this? Do I really need to go into debt for this? Um, and is it worth going into debt and potentially go bankrupt for it? Okay. So in this episode, we've talked about um, emergency funds. We've talked about good debt versus bad debt. Uh, these are all very important financial concepts. Um, and before we before we sort of um, you know finish, I'd like to I'd like to instill this one thought. Supposing you want to retire this year, which is 2019. I'll tell you. Supposing you took a dollar in 1980, so that's roughly about uh, you know 40 years, you know 39, 40 years. Supposing you took a dollar and invested into the ASX 200 in 1980 and just left it there and let the dividends reinvest itself, you'd probably be amazed, but today that $1 will be worth $50.26. That $1, okay? So when you spend $1 today, you need to think about how much that dollar is valued in the future, 30 or 40 years later. Now, past performance is not a guarantee for future returns, but that gives you some idea about the value in today's dollars versus the value in tomorrow's dollars. So next time you go into debt, ask yourself this question. The money I need, that is you need, to pay to service and pay back the debt that money is potentially worth a significant amount more in tomorrow's dollars. So the car you buy today using debt, let's say $20,000, you buy a $20,000 car, using the 1 is to $50 ratio of what $1 would have been worth today's dollars of $50.26. If you buy a car that's $20,000 today, if we use the same concept, it's costing you in the long run a million dollars 40 years later. That is the true cost of the car. When I learned that, 
I regretted my car decisions. When I learned that, I regretted some of the decisions that I've made in the past, some of the things that I've bought, you know, the iPhone or the Samsung or whatever it was. I thought, wow, that is money that I could have saved. This is Dev Raga, Personal Finance. Thank you for listening. Um, and uh, there's more episodes to come. If you have any topics or you want to talk about, uh, you want me to talk about particular topics, uh, email, SMS, phone, uh, or even comment on this podcast channel. Um, and once again, shout out to TomsMoneyMagic.com, um, and shout out to that uh, to that young girl that was uh, basically handing out her resumes because she understands the concept of opportunity cost at a very very young age. Um, and lastly, I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not a personal financial advisor. Uh, this podcast channel is mainly for your entertainment. Um, you know, if you wanted personalized advice, then you should go and see a financial planner or a financial advisor. Once again, this is Dev Raga, Personal Finance. Till next time, stay safe and thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 